Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read Psalm 45 together today. To the choir master, according to lilies, a maskil of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously. For the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many-colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Let me start by taking you back to the end. If all we had was verse 17, so you can even share this with your kids. If all we had was this verse, who would you say this psalm is about? I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. I would suggest our first thought would probably be Jesus. That this is a psalm praising the Lord, that he would be remembered in every generation, and that nations throughout the world would forever praise him. So let's keep that in mind as we look at the psalm. To the choir master, according to Lilies, the Lutheran Study Bible suggests that that might be a melody of some sort that is being notated there. That makes sense. The word lilies is a bit strange. 
but it will show up at the beginning of Psalm 69 and Psalm 80 as well. A masculine, so a psalm of particular skillful nature, perhaps, of the sons of Korah, so a specific tribe within the Levites, a, a family. Korah had rebelled against God, against Moses and Aaron, but the Lord swallowed him whole. But God spared the sons. And their generations that follow end up being temple musicians to the Lord. Faithful men. Again, from the Lutheran Study Bible, instead of a love song, it suggests that the word love is actually plural. So a song of loves might be a better way to read that. In which case, maybe a song sung at weddings perhaps even by the the virgins mentioned in the text. Down in verse 14, the virgin companions that are led along with joy and gladness in the celebration of the wedding. So it seems a wedding would be a fitting context as the text is described. But that'll again bring us to the, the question, who is this really about? It seems like an ideal king. But is there any king that lives up to this description? In which case, it might have us think of the king of kings, Jesus Christ our Lord, who indeed actually does describe the church as his bride. That could be another family conversation. Why do you think Jesus calls us his bride and that he is our groom? I'm not sure that the Bible ever actually gives an answer other than it just uses it. And oftentimes you'll hear it discussed as it's because we can relate to that. We understand marriage. We understand husband and wife language. We can see it in our daily life. And so if we can make a connection in that way to the Lord, it helps us understand a bit more about that relationship that we have with him. For the same reason that we are then called sons and he is our father. We understand how earthly fathers work and how God has given them the responsibility to care for their kids and that if they can care for their children and give them good gifts, how much more will our Father who is in heaven give us good gifts? So there's the most likely thing behind it is that the Lord wants us to to be able to understand what he's teaching us, that we are his. So I think husband, wife, king and queen, But ultimately, Christ and his church is the reading for our text. My heart overflows with the pleasing theme. A wedding day is certainly a time for that. I address verses to my king, my tongue like the pen of a ready scribe. So you think of a scribe who's ready to write down many things. So a tongue that is ready to sing many words. If anything in this psalm does not fit Jesus, it's verse 2's description that he is most handsome of the sons of men. Isaiah 52 and 53, one of the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, will say that he was nothing to be looked at, nothing that we should behold him. But it's a wedding day. High favor, high praise being given to the groom, 
on that day. Grace is poured upon your lips. Very interesting phrase. Not from his lips, so it's not that the king is speaking out gracious things. But God is blessing him. God is filling him. God is giving him his gifts. And so now you think of the wedding festival, uh, the food and the, the wine and, and so forth. And yet, gird your sword. You're ready to fight. Splendor, majesty, kingly kind of words, royal words. And yet, battle. Ride out in victory. For truth, meekness, righteousness, letting your right hand teach you awesome deeds. A lot in here. I mean, a lot in these little verses. That his right hand would teach him awesome deeds is a reference to his conquest. That as he goes out, he uses that sword and he fights. That's what he's being taught. He's going to remember those deeds for years to come. Deeds of victory for truth which is all that is godly, God's word. Meekness, that's an interesting word choice. To be meek is to have power, but not to wield it. How can the meek fight for himself? It's an oxymoron, but here it's not, because again, Christ and his bride, we are meek, blessed are the meek. Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. He fights for, for us. He defends us. And then also righteousness. That a faithful king would fight for what is just and good and right. Not only sword, but also arrows piercing his enemies. And they fall before him. So the battle picture here of the king being described in addition to Uh, beauty and grace and blessing from the verse before. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice that shift all of a sudden. This is why I think our primary reason to read the text, our primary way to read the text, is as Christ and his bride, because this shift in verse 6, it's no longer about a man. It's about God. His throne, his kingdom, as the perfect king, never ends. I don't actually have any idea why scepters were important in the ancient world. I know it was a symbol of a king's royal authority. I don't know where the symbol comes from. I don't know the origin of that one. But you see a lot of scepter or rod kind of language, even in scripture, and it's a picture of the king, the staff that he held in his hand. God loves righteousness. And he hates wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So verse 6 speaks to God. Verse 7 speaks to God of God. Does that make sense? Your throne, O God, is forever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. In the context of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. Let's put those words back in. Your throne, O God the Son, is forever and ever. Therefore, God the Father, your God, has anointed you, God the Son. God the Father has anointed Jesus. He is Christ, Messiah, 
Mashiach and Christos, or Hebrew and Greek respectively, for anointed one. They anointed their prophets, their priests, and their kings, and Jesus is all three of those for us. He's been anointed with the oil, as they would use for anointing, beyond any companion. No other man, because Jesus is man. He's fully God and fully man. No one else among men has been anointed the same way Jesus has. And so the praise of Christ continues, and they sing hymns to him as well. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. So we can even possibly picture the the idea that in paradise we'll be singing praise to the Lord still. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. That would be the the picture of a royal court, and that even uh, you would have your your men in your court, the officials, but you would have women there as well. At your right hand stands the queen in the gold of Ophir. Ophir is a place just east of the Red Sea, a good stretch down from where Jerusalem would be, but the gold of that region well known. It's where Solomon would get much of his gold wealth from. So this could be, again, the kingly picture, a wedding day, that his bride is going to be so well decorated, costly attire. But don't leave Revelation 21 out of this picture. That the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21 is the church, and then you read how beautifully adorned the church is for her husband, for Jesus. So much gold and precious stone mentioned throughout that chapter. Christ and his bride, to be pictured here again. And that brings us to verse 10. Hear, O daughter, consider. Forget your people and your father's house. The king will desire your beauty. In the worldly sense, this does make sense. Don't long for the things left behind. So if a king has married a foreign bride, which they weren't really supposed to in Israel, forget that other people. God will prosper this people. He will care for you here. But even if it's coming from within Israel, that she is to not long for her father's house where she was cared for before, she will be so much better cared for now by the king, her husband. Seek him. And this is really, again, echoed in our faith. Matthew chapter 6, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We are not to long for the things of this world. Whoever would seek to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. So several New Testament passages that line up very well with this idea. He is your Lord. Bow to him. Husband and wife. Sarah called her husband Abraham Lord. People of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. Tyre is a port city, a merchant city on the Mediterranean Sea, north of Jerusalem, so it's on the eastern border of the sea. And it's very wealthy in the Old Testament era. And yet they're going to want this woman, this bride, they're going to want her favor. They're going to want her attention so great is she going to become. It's quite a a comment. 
All glorious is the princess in her chamber. So now we reference the bridal chamber. Robes interwoven with gold, many colored robes, joy and gladness, entering the palace of the king. Again, uh, yes, the picture of a wedding in mind, but also think of our marriage to Christ. He is the groom, the church is his bride, adorned, dressed, readied for her husband and brought to him. The marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom that knows no end. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. That's going to go back to verse 10, forget your people and your father's house. Yes, there were men in your family, and you grieve that you are no longer with them, but the Lord will replace them with sons who have come from your own body. The Lord will continue your family. The Lord will prosper your family. He will care for your family. And this again is the picture of faith in paradise for us. Our sons, our daughters. Yes, we may have left behind much, but we have gained so much more. I think this ties in quite nicely to Peter's conversation with Jesus in Mark chapter 10, after Jesus has sent the rich young man away because his money was his God. He couldn't trust in the Lord. They have a conversation about how the rich can't enter the kingdom of heaven because they trust in their money. And Peter says, we have left everything and followed you. He's grieving. If the rich can't get in, what about us? And Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So yes, this connects to our faith, that we may lose family in this world because of our faith in Christ. But we have gained so much more. How many earthly siblings did you lose because you believe in Jesus? One? Two? Six? How many more brothers and sisters in Christ do you now have? Billions. It's not even close. Same kind of picture here. Spoken to the bride, spoken also to the church, Encouragement to us. Again, verse 17, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. Again, sounds like that should be said of Jesus. I think you could make the case that the psalmist is here actually talking about the church, the bride of Christ, that the bride will also be remembered and that nations will praise her just as they praise her groom. And there are indeed Christians in every nation. The name of Jesus, his bride, his church, is remembered throughout the world. And day by day he adds to his church, to his bride. Thanks be to God. Praise me.